thank you, music team. Uh, that was very uplifting. It lifted us up to Jesus, looked, made us look to him, helped us in our appreciation of him. And indeed, that is the purpose of our coming together is to become deeper in our walk with him, more like him, to build each other up in our care and and love for him and for one another. Eve's going to come up and adjust my head. Hey, things are opening up though, right? <laughs> and we're grateful for that. Oh, we're adjusting my, my mouth. Oh, that's different. Oh, head too? Or do I stand back? Oh, I'm here. While you're here. Oh, here. And, and things must be opening. I see Steve is a lot shorter than he, uh, at least his head anyway. <laughs> that's great. Must have gotten to get that done. And, uh, yeah, we've, uh, yeah, we're seeing more freedoms. But there are lots of places in the world where things are not going as well. And uh, we just heard reports from the, like Africa, the Congo, which had been pretty well spared from... I'm going to double vaccinated. I don't need this. <laughs> the Congo has has had uh, lots of cases now in the city of Bunya, where we visited a few years ago. There are many people dying. And so Africa is now facing it and other countries in the world. So... We need to continue to be concerned and uplift them in our prayers. Let's do that right now as we uh, take a moment and pray. Lord, we thank you that we have this opportunity of being in your presence this morning and uh, being here with with one another as we uh, journey in this uh, life together with you. We thank you for your your messages that you've given to us through your scriptures. We thank you for those who faithfully recorded them and and um, copied them and distributed them and that we can read them and ponder them and think about the the wisdom that your spirit gave uh, many years ago and how we can learn from that wisdom and how we can use it in our lives and how we should be uh, living today. We do uh, pray your spirit's help in our in our um time together. We pray that he would lead us and guide us and direct our thoughts and our applications of the messages that we have before us this morning. We pray in our Savior's precious name. Amen. So most of you, I would think, are familiar with team building exercises. Maybe, uh, Maybe you have a that happening in your workplace, or maybe you know of such a thing. Maybe uh, you've actually been involved in a team building process or an activity, or maybe you've actually even um, led one. I don't know. Some of you might have. Uh, often uh, an organization has a group of people that uh, they want to help work together better. So they they arrange for them to meet together, and then a specific or a number of challenges are given to those group of people. And uh, those challenges would would require that all of the team members participating would be required to, to complete the task. It can't ever really be done with an individual effort. There might be a star on the team who could do wonderful things, but but he won't be able to do this task at least an, a, until 
all of the team comes together and helps. And so it brings out the individual um, um, characteristics, the individual abilities, the, the things that people do well. And, and the team learns that there are people that are usually quiet, but they are really able to do great things. And <coughs> there are maybe, <coughs> excuse me, others that uh, have abilities that they didn't know about. And so the team comes together and they learn to work together and then they can accomplish more as a team than they could by their individual efforts alone. The classic example, of course, is an obstacle course where you have to climb an obstacle and there's no way that one person alone can get over that obstacle. So you need to help each other overcome that uh, obstacle. That's just one example of a team-building exercise. I, I mentioned that this morning because it's, I think it's similar to the thoughts that Paul is putting together in, uh, in the passage that we read this morning. It's, um, a passage about when you come together, Paul says in verse 26. And that idea of being together as a team, uh, as a group of people empowered to do things that you can't do individually. So think about that when, when we talk about when you, when we come together. Actually, the title I gave to this sermon is Come Together to Grow Together. And that is uh, what Paul, I think, is emphasizing. Let's take a moment and and read uh, our passage this morning. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 26 to 40. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together? Each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at at the most three should speak one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop, for you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Women should remain silent in in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in church. Or did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people it has reached? If anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, they will themselves be ignored. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. I got thinking about what it is that we call a meeting. 
when you have a meeting, what is it that's going on? And you can have, I'm sure you've had lots of meetings. We think of meetings at work or board meetings or city council meetings or church leadership meetings, or you might have some other meetings that you're involved in. I'm sure you've all been at lots of maybe more meetings than you really wanted to be in in some of those situations. I know I think I have. <laughs> but what is a meeting? It's a meeting is when you when pathways converge, when people come together. Um, they may come from different directions, different backgrounds, different uh, perspectives. They have different approaches to things, different abilities, even different agendas as to what they want to do. And so why why meet and when they come in these different directions you get to a same point i i think of uh you know people walking along paths that come together and they meet uh, um, and that an old term is well met you know like and, and that sort of things about thinking about coming together but why why do this why would we bring ourselves into together well often we want to share information at these meetings we want to understand what's going on so we need to all come together so we can hear the uh, the latest info. We want to discuss ideas together or concerns, and we want to bring them up and think about them together and see what happens, what maybe solutions we could uh, propose or uh, various plans to go forward. How do we make plans? These are some of the things we want to do when we come together in these meetings. But after meeting for... Uh, Oops, sorry, I went too far. After the meeting, everybody disperses again, right? They go back going probably in their own directions that they were going before. They uh, may have some new ideas, new thoughts, new information, new tasks, but they haven't really changed much. They're, they're the same people. They're going to this, they have the same focuses and, uh, and purposes, but the meeting has, has ended and now we go on our way again. So that's often, unfortunately, the result of many of the meetings that we go to. Uh, people come together, talk about things, and then they all go their own way and nothing gets done. <laughs> I wouldn't, uh, wouldn't say that's all the meetings, but, but fortunately there's people like my wife who takes after a meeting and she, and she thinks, now this is, we said we've got to do it. There's a few people like that. The most of the rest of us just scatter. <laughs> Never get, never get to what we were supposed to do or never think about it again, maybe. That's terrible thing. But that's sometimes what happens. So, so, but Paul says in, in this verse 26, when you come together. Now, that's subtly different than just a meeting. Now, this word come together in the Greek language, I won't try and pronounce it, is a kind of unique word it's only used by Paul in the epistles. Uh, there's some other times it's used in the uh, Acts and the Gospels. But, it, but of all the epistle writers, Paul's the only one to use this word. And he only uses it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and chapter 14. So this is kind of a special word uh, for this particular group of believers. This is the word that Paul chose to put into their letter. And it is used to describe a, a meeting of believers that when you come together, it's talking about people gathering and it is that meeting. But it has some other interesting meanings as you look up the word in the, in the lexicons in the Greek language. And one of them is that it also means travel together. And I found that to be an interesting connotation to put with this. Is, is Paul choosing this word because he knows it also means this? And 
when you think about it like that, I often think of Ron Paget and his his term for helping people, and it's called the journey mate, or journeying together. And the idea that we're coming together to journey together uh, is an interesting thought to me. It implies a growing relationship and commitment between those who come together. It suggests that there might be a change as they come together, that things will be different. It's interesting that it's also used for in one other way, and that is the intimacy of a marriage relationship, when the couples, when a couple, man and wife, come together. And so they're very much an intimate word here, not just a not just a meeting, but an intimate coming together of of thoughts, ideas, and it sort of then for becomes a very rich word. So the idea then would be that we come together as a meeting, but we go out together in unified unified way with our thoughts and our actions and our and our goals set uh, in a, in a way. And what is that? unifying process that goes on. What is the change of direction? Well, it's from our directions to Jesus' direction. You know, we come together to build the church so that we can go on to be the followers of Jesus we are meant to be, to grow to be like him, to journey together with him as our disciples, as his disciples. We were sharing a bit about this in the first service this morning, and uh, one of the... um one of the stories in the Bible that makes me think about this in, a, in one way is that that uh, walk that two disciples started out on from Jerusalem and they were going to Emmaus. Now, they were leaving Jerusalem in a pretty sad state. They were despaired in, in despair and despondency, confusion, because the one that they thought was the Messiah was dead. And he had been killed just three days before they watched him die a cruel death on a Roman cross. And they can't believe that that could happen to their Messiah. But they'd heard reports of him being alive and that, that just, they, they couldn't make out what to head or tails of that. That was just, that was just unbelievable. So they, they weren't really sure, but they were on their way to Emmaus. I'm sure their hearts were very heavy. Well, they were joined by a fellow traveler who met them on their path. And as they walked together, they walked along. And this fellow traveler just pointed out to them all the things that they should have seen from the scriptures that would show them that the Messiah had to do this. And they sort of thought, well, we never saw that before. We didn't understand that. And they're like, this is pretty amazing. you know. Like, And as they kept going, they got more and more understanding. They decided... We should stop for the night that we've reached our destination, come together. Actually, the word that when they went in to eat is another word that's very closely related to the word that we, that we are using today, come together. They went together to eat, and lo and behold, they then recognized that the fellow traveler that they'd been with throughout the, on the walk was Jesus. Well, that meeting between those travelers changed those lives, right? Those guys just did a U-turn. They went right back to Jerusalem to tell the news that Jesus is alive and we've seen him, we talked to him, and we understand now why he had to do what he had to do. Amazing life change, <coughs> life changing coming together. The meetings, the coming together meetings must be founded and motivated by love. Love for the Lord and love for one another. Individuals with all their unique talents and traits will need love to bind them together. A coming together type of meeting will not accomplish anything 
unless love is the underlying foundation. Without love, nothing will be accomplished. Nothing will change. It will simply be a spectacle or maybe entertainment. As Paul said in chapter 13, it'll be like just making noise, a clanging cymbal. Without the love to bring us together, there won't be any any real change or, or accomplishment. Shakespeare said, sound and fury signifying nothing. And I think that would be the uh, idea of a, of a meeting without love. It's not possible to, to get anywhere unless love is the foundation. It will all be for show and not for grow. I found this interesting quote from a, a website. I was looking through websites about team building and there was kind of a number of interesting, but this one stood out to me by a man named Michael Rogers. No idea who he was, but he, or who he is, but he, he does do team building exercises. So he was advertising his services. And he wrote this in his, uh, on his website. Teams are at their core about relationships. And this is where the problem is with most teams. Until team members are in, in quotation mark, meaning committed to each other and what they are trying to do together, there's always going to be some level of dysfunction. Connection doesn't happen unless there is commitment. So basically this man has discovered what Paul wrote 2,000 years earlier. He's, Paul was just 2,000 years ahead of his time, or we just didn't tune in very well. But the teams that are going to accomplish anything have to have a commitment to one another. And that's the basis of love that we need to be aware of. So, what will be a coming together event? What will it look like? How will it be designed? Who's going to lead it? Can it done? Can it ever happen? Well, Paul answers, yes, it's a joint effort. Everyone's going to have a part. And then he says, you know, one will sing, one will recite a psalm, someone else will teach, someone else will give a revelation, someone else will pray. They may pray unintelligibly, but if someone is there to translate, that's okay, Paul says. But if they can't be translated, then they should, you know, be quiet. But all of God, all, all of the God-given resources will come together in order to build the church. So who's going to organize and arrange the contributors? You know, like, it's, it's can't happen. We gotta, hey, you, can you give a, a little message here? Can you sing there? And can we, you know, you pray open in prayer? All of these things have to be arranged, right? Well, no. The, Paul doesn't mention anything about a leader or an MC of the meeting or a moderator. So who is going to lead this? Well, Paul says the Spirit's leading and directing it. But the participants will have responsibilities too. Well, as we mentioned, they have to have a love for Jesus and for one another. They also will need to have some humility. They're not going to be the center of attention or promote themselves personally. They're going to need to do this on behalf of others there. Everything that's said and done should be for the purpose of growth and encouragement, learning and uh, and helping others there. They will have to have a spiritually in tune heart so that they can hear the Spirit's message to them, the Spirit's prompting, the Spirit's leading. 
There, Paul started out this letter talking about those who were spiritual and those who were carnal or non-spiritual. And the non-spiritual people will not be able to adequately hear the Spirit of God. He wants the spiritual people to participate and, and share and build up. So we'll be having a desire to journey with Jesus. Those are the people who are spiritual. They will be relating experiences that they've had with Jesus they will need to have a close relationship with him. You know, if you had such a meeting, you would expect, actually, if if you had a spirit-led meeting with all of these participants taking place and the spirit prompting them, that you might expect some emotions to be on display as well. And it would be an, quite appropriate to see joy in the in the group. It also might lead to sorrow as people are, understand what they need to do. There could be laughter. There could be tears. There could be high fives. And Joe, there could even be hugs because we might need them. But those sort of things would all be very possible in such a coming together type of meeting. Well, you say chaos would reign then, right? Everybody's speaking together, sharing whenever, coming this way or that way. Who would, you know, like, it could just turn into a, into a, a free-for-all. Not so, Paul says. Not, not God's desire to have a, a chaotic meeting. It's not his nature. He's a God of order and peace or harmony. He wants things to be together. In a, in a peaceful way, a harmonious way where everyone brings their thoughts, but it's done in an orderly way. So it's the responsibility of each person at the meeting to maintain order. As the Spirit directs, someone may have something to say, but there's someone else speaking, so they have to wait their turn. The Spirit may direct, but He doesn't control the, the participants uh, in terms of like making them a jerky robot. And you think of demonic possession, and we saw, see examples of that in the New Testament, where the people have no control of what they're saying or what they're doing. The, the, the demonic spirit takes over. The Holy Spirit's not like that. The Holy Spirit speaks, but the person who is in control of their own spirit and has the responsibility to then to forward on to what the Spirit has been spelt, telling them. So it's pretty exciting, really, to think that in a, such a coming together, there might be the possibility of hearing a message related related right from the Spirit through someone to the group so that the Spirit is actually speaking to that, that group. Now, there's several possibilities of how that could happen, Paul writes. So it could be a Spirit-inspired message in a language unknown to the speaker. Pretty wild, pretty, pretty unfamiliar to me. But but it has happened, and it um, Paul says that would be appropriate. That message would be for the group if someone was able to understand that language that was spoken and could get up and share exactly what was given. So that would be appropriate and and uh, legitimate. But if no one could interpret that language, then it wouldn't be helpful. Then the participant should just keep quiet and converse with God. And only a few at most in the meeting should speak with these sort of that gift, it's, Paul says. It shouldn't be the focus. It should be just two or at most three. And they need to take turns, not a collective babbling together, but, but in an orderly way. Another possible 
form of expression that God might be speaking to the group would be through this gift of prophecy. Now, Kerry mentioned this gift last week and went over the verses earlier, and I if you didn't get to hear his message, I recommend you review it. And if, if you did hear it, you can review it again because he said some really important things in that message. The, the, the prophecy is not um, primarily a, a foretelling or a prediction of future events. And we've seen that error made, you know, people have been, you know, predicting all sorts of political things or other things that are going to happen. And they've been often wrong. So that's not the spirit of prophecy or not the gift of prophecy. No, prophecy is a spontaneous message given by the prophet, uh, given to the prophet by the spirit for the edification of the whole church. It's uh, not a prepared message. It's, it's something that's in some, in some ways spontaneous. And so you could imagine the impact if, if God were speaking directly to the coming together meeting through someone who was in touch with the Spirit's promptings in that way. That would have a really profound effect on the, on the group. And you can see why Paul says you should be eager to receive that gift to the Corinthian church because that would really build the church. It's designed to be a public expression of what God wants you to do. And Paul says you should eagerly desire that gift. I don't see any rescinding of that desire. So I kind of not to be uh, telling God what to do, but would really like to see more prophets in our midst. <laughs> that would be amazing, I think. But in, even in this gift, it's to be regulated and under control. Again, not like God controls the mouth, but the person himself is speaking in his own words, but what the message God has put in his heart. And again, taking turns, not, uh, not all together. And the hearers also have a responsibility. They have a responsibility to pay careful attention. So if, if the prophet says, this is what God wants, then we should pay attention to that. We should uh, also assess the validity, because sometimes, as I said, some people speak uh, wrongly, but uh, um, and they're not really speaking God. But So we have an advantage today that even Paul's congregation there in Corinth didn't have uh, the advantage. We have a lot of prophecy written down for us in, in Scripture. And we can compare those prophets to the prophets that might speak now. And the wisdom that's given in the previous prophets should fit together with the wisdom that we receive from any other prophets. So there's a comparison there that can take place, helps us to assess and to weigh the prophecies. So who will be speaking? Well, it seems to me that Paul says anyone can contribute to the building of the church, that the Spirit has been giving gifts to each and every believer for that very purpose, that the church might be built up. And it would be a, seems to be a, a poor use of those gifts if the church isn't built up because of them. So everybody who has giftings to give to the church to build it up is, is quite uh, um, able to contribute to that to that coming together meeting. And so that means that God could use even the uneducated people to speak to the educated people. We saw in, in earlier on in the chapters of First Corinthians that God uses the weak to teach the, the strong. He uses those that are not on the radar 
to really inform those who, who have all the power politically and all of those things. So it doesn't matter your status, whether you are weak or strong, rich or poor, or old or young, or men or women. If you've been given a gift to use to build the church, then this is an appropriate use of this gift to bring it to the body of believers. The Spirit's leading and love are the important qualifications of those who are going to participate. But what about verse 34 and 35? And and if they seem a little bit odd to you, join the club. <laughs> Everybody who studied this passage has had trouble reconciling these verses with what Paul said just a few chapters earlier that when women pray and prophesy they should do this in their in their head covering and things like that but they were obviously contributing verbally in a meeting of and a coming together so this has been a challenge to reconcile this uh, these verses with other verses in this same book and other places in the bible so there's a number of proposed solutions to try and limit the uh, discordance here or to minimize the uh, the strain. And I must say that none of them are entirely satisfactory. We kind of will have to decide which is the best. But if you read five commentaries on this book, you'll have at least five different explanations for the for these uh, discrepancies or this discordance. And I expect you'll have a lot more because most commentators list a lot of them. So you could end up with a dozen or more. But maybe, I don't know. I, I will not going to go into it in depth because it's good for studying and good for lectures, but it's not really the stuff of sermons. But I think it's important to touch on this just for our, for our understanding and to help us in the application of this, uh, of these verses. So one solution is not to reconcile them at all. It's just accept chapter 11, but maybe chapter 11 wasn't a coming together event. It was something else. And then chapter 14 is that this is what you like when you come together. But, you know, if, it seems a little bit illogical because if, if the women were given this gift of praying, prophesying, and they had this gift to build the church, then when you come together as the coming together event that builds the church, it would be sort of illogical not to use those gifts. And I think chapter 11 is a coming together event. Otherwise, why bother going through all the dress protocols for whether it's honoring or shaming to men and women to do that? So it's it's obviously in chapter 11, the women and men are together, and the women are praying and prophesying in that chapter. So difficult there to just uh, get get our heads around that. What about different attempts to reconcile? Here's just a few of them. So one idea is that this pertains only to certain women. Like there are women in the group that are being disruptive and noisy and not following this orderly conduct. So those women should be quiet and silent in the church in the coming together meetings. And that, that that seems reasonable, logical, but why doesn't talk, Paul talk about disruptive men? Because there never are disruptive men, right? There's never, it's an impossibility. No, I'm sure there would be, but, uh, so, you know, that, that's sort of a little bit of a, 
gap in that explanation. Another way to explain it would be that it limits certain types of speech by women. So, so here's an example that, that we are hearing the prophets speak and then we weigh the prophecies together. And the weighing of the prophecies is a verbal thing where we assess them and understand them. Maybe the women are not permitted to be in that weighing process that puts them in a teaching role and that puts them in, in, in leadership of men. But that, uh, possibility exists. It's a little bit of a jump from verse 29 to verse 34, but it's some people do it that way. Here's another example. They, some people see that these verses, 34 and 35, are actually part of the letter that was sent to Paul when, they, when the Corinthians were asking him about different situations in the church. And he says, now, now you ask about this. Well, this is the answer. We don't have that here, but maybe these are the, the, a quote from their actual letter. And so the Corinthians were sort of thinking this way. And Paul then in verse um, 36 and following says, no, you've got it all wrong. That's not the way to look at these uh, th- that detail. So therefore, this verse 34 and 35 is, is an error that Paul is correcting. And a lot of people have found that to be a, a, a solution that, that helps them. There are a few other non-reconciling solutions, and one is, is just going to a cultural argument where you say, well, yeah, these verses are in the Bible, written 2,000 years ago. They meant something to the Corinthians. Things have changed now. We have women that are very well-educated, very well-gifted, and, and, uh, and we want them to, want to hear from them. So in our culture, this is passe, and that's uh, one way to, uh, to do it. And then there's yet one more that I'll just mention, and that um, is going back to the texts of the original writings. We don't have Paul's papyrus that he wrote on. As a matter of fact, we don't have any copies of what he wrote for several hundred years, and then we start to see find some copies of these these original of these manuscripts that are having uh, now. That gives us a clue that there's a problem with verse 34 and 35 in the textual manuscripts that we have. Some manuscripts put them where they are as verse 34 and 35, and other manuscripts put them at the end after verse 40. So that's kind of odd. Why would they, and they're, and they're sort of equally divided and equally good manuscripts, so I'm told. So why would that shift have taken place? Why was there indecisiveness as to where these verses go in the text? So some textual scholars, and and this is becoming an increasing number, I think, over the, I first read about this 35 years ago or so, but the number of people that accept that these verses were not in the original document has been growing. The number of textual scholars who find, and they find evidence for this, but but we don't have a copy before these verses were not there, if that's the case. So every manuscript has them, but in some places they're transposed. So the idea is that some scribe wrote them on the margin somewhere, you know, and then somebody copied that and it got into the text. It's a bit of a subject, uh, you know, bit of guesswork there, but it's possible. It's happened in other verses in the Bible. We see the first cha- part of John chapter 8 was added later. We see the end of the Gospel of Mark got in there. Some other verses scattered here and there are not in the original best manuscripts that we have. So it's possible. And it just is a, if that is the case, then the 
the internal inconsistency is also understandable. It might not have been written by Paul because there's an appeal to the law in those verses, but no actual law exists in the, you can't find it in the Old Testament that, that this law is. And Paul, when he uses Old Testament or law in, in, in something he wants to, to un, people to understand, he almost always quotes it. Sometimes he misquotes it, no. But he sometimes uses a different version than we have. And he, he will use that, but he never just leaves it hanging like, you know, as the law says. And most, the unpaul-like thing is that the law would then be something that would dictate the behavior of Christians, and Paul usually is not in favor of that. So, uh, you know, like in say the practice of circumcision, the law says, but Paul says, no, 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 not not Christians, not that. So, there's evidence that's the and growing support among scholars for that uh, idea that these are not original verses. Uh, if they're not, that sort of solves the problem for us. That's sort of the easiest way out. So if you don't like part of your Bible, just cut it out. But that sounds a little bit harsh. But on the other hand, if it wasn't part of your Bible, you wouldn't want to put it in, right? So it's a bit of a weighing, balancing of act. And it's beyond the scope of my m- message to give you the details of that. And it's far beyond my abilities to criti- critique the scholarly work that's going on. So that's sort of where we're at. But... But because there's a variety of opinions and because of the problems with this verse, I would just caution uh, how we use these verses. We need to maintain humility and understand that uh, we don't have always the clear answer that we'd like. But it shouldn't stop the building project, right? It should be going forward somehow. And so whatever your solution is or whatever it is, continue to come together and build. I think that's important not to lose track of that so summarizing summarizing to this point wow summarizing to this point and it's noon already <laughs> sorry well we've got to come together to strengthen everyone and everyone needs to to learn and to be encouraged and that's what we're meeting together about and the foundation of love but i just wanted to ask you this one question sorry to go a little bit late um is it possible for us to have such a meeting? Um, you know, most meetings don't follow this pattern. Like we have a meeting where there's a leader, someone assigns who's going to take part. There's limited contribution in, in terms of numbers. There's a single prepared and often lengthy talk that uh, goes on. Um, so these are sort of things that happen, but it's not that those type of meetings or this type of meeting that we're enjoying right now are wrong. They're often helpful, enjoyable, encouraging. They also build and they help strengthen the church. So that's not that. But maybe we've moved on from this, what Paul's talking about, to our new cultural pattern, and maybe we don't need to go back there. But my gut feeling is that we miss something special by not having a coming-together event like this, where the Spirit directs the meetings and everybody is able to participate and people share what they've heard from God, they pray, they sing, they they um, share ideas from scriptures, they share what God has been telling them. And, and such a meeting like that, wouldn't that cause us to fall on our knees and declare that God is among us, as Paul wrote in verse 25? So, but but wait... It sounds a little familiar, actually. 
And you're probably tracking with me right now where I'm going with this, right? We have a meeting that looks a lot like this. We have it. It's, it's creatively named first service. <laughs> but it really is a coming together event. And we meet every week and we don't have a leader. We just wait for the spirit to lead us. Somebody may sing or suggest a song. And Zoom today, we sing. <laughs> we sing together when we're together, but, uh, but it's great. Someone else may have a prayer. Someone else may share something they've learned from scriptures. Someone else may have an, an example of something that God has been speaking to them about. And it's all da- designed to, to build our, deepen our relationship with and commitment to Christ. And as we do that, we focus on Him and we go from that joining together as changed people as we, as we recommit our lives to Christ and, ex- and share in His body and His blood sacrifice for us. So I'm obviously talking about the the sharing, breaking of bread service, the communion service, the first service that we have. We have it um, before this meeting, and it's a wonderful time. I'm just really excited about that service, and I I I find that to be very encouraging. And I just encourage everyone to be participating in that service. And maybe that's not been your habit, but try it out. It's it's uh, it's. It's a coming together event. And, you know, the, we have a tremendous asset at BFA here, which, which many places don't have, which is that event. We already have it. And it's, it's exciting to me. It's kind of meeting that, that Paul is describing here very much so. So you might have heard that, that too many cooks spoil the broth, but I would say the, the more builders, the better. So let's come together to grow together.